Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. And so this week's episode is entitled Hamas, Cyrus the Great, and Divine Providence. Why? Because the very first reading for this weekend, the 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time, comes from Isaiah 45, Isaiah the prophet. And it's a reference to the anointed uh, emperor of Persia, Cyrus. And here's what the reading is in Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name, giving you a title, though you knew me not. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you know me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. So Cyrus, who is the emperor, in, who founds basically the Persian Empire, and we'll talk about that, has freed Israel from its chains to Babylon and returned them to Jerusalem. And Isaiah is pointing out that all the gods that the Persians worship are truly false gods. There is only one God, and that is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this God is pulling the strings. His will is driving Cyrus, though Cyrus does not know him. So naturally, wouldn't you think of the Persian Empire and Iran, which is the, in the homeland of Cyrus's Persian Empire from 2,500, 2,600 years ago, uh, that once again, the home of the Persians is driving uh, driving disorder in the land of Israel, uh, funding and driving the assault by Hamas on the homeland of, of God's people. Something to think about as we think about divine providence and the difference between fate, predestination, and divine providence and the gospels for the reading, the gospels for the 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Hang tight. So what is the difference between fate, the modern notion of predestination, and our Catholic and Jewish understanding of divine providence? Well, fate is has been a very important idea in Western culture, but it's rooted in the Greeks and the Romans. And the fates is the basically English translation of a Greek word, uh, the Mirai. And the Mirai were three sisters who were the personification of destiny. One was Clotho, and Clotho would sit at a loom, and she was a weaver. So your fate is being weaved out ahead of you. Imagine this massive tapestry, and you're just one thread in this tapestry that Clotho is weaving. Lachesis is the allotter. She's the one who's kind of determining what happens to everybody. And Atropos, the third sister, is death which of course is ultimately the fate of every living creature. It's coming for each one of us, uh, even Elon Musk. Um, and so what's the difference between fate and predestination? Well, in Greek 
and really the ancient world, uh, the gods and goddesses were the personifications of natural powers. And so uh, they would just, the ocean was Poseidon or Neptune, depending on your Greek or Roman. But every natural power was a god. And the, the natural powers say the ocean was the symbol for the divine, which was the god. Um, the god wasn't the symbol for the ocean. It was the other way around, as, as I understand the ancient world. But think about it from, uh, say, uh, some of the ideas of predestination which have dominated the Western culture's conversation on these issues for the last couple hundred years, uh, to see the world as basically a huge chemical uh, reality unfolding over time. There's physics involved, there's chemistry, there's biology involved. But, you know, it's like science is predictable. That means... Um, all of reality has to be predictable. That's the idea behind predestination. And so if you had all the data points and a big enough computer, you could figure out everything was going to happen uh, with every single actor that's out there. Always found the idea to be ridiculous. But uh, it's like all those ideas that seem to be pseudoscience. If we only had this computer and this data, then we could solve the problem. If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, what a lovely enlightenment it would be. And so that's my new saying. But the third is uh, divine providence. And providence has as its root the word providere, to provide. So that in all this chaos that we perceive in the world, Russia and Ukraine, grinding poverty, Hamas and Israel, innocent victims, China getting aggressive, uh, North Korea just practicing missile after missile for no purpose other than to intimidate. Then in all of that, what is unfolding is God's plan. The nations of the world all have a fate. And you want to read about the fate? Read the book of Revelation. And yeah, culture is at some point falls apart. Um, and it's just, uh, it wears out itself out. Even science, to its credit, says at some point the sun's just going to burn out. Uh, and so that's why they talk about space exploration, learning to go vast distances so that the human species can go out and propagate itself on other worlds with younger suns. All right, maybe that happens. I don't know. I'm not going to be alive to see it, and I don't care. Um, but for us, the idea of divine providence isn't about the United States of America being recreated uh, in the world to come. It's about the kingdom of God, which is not of this world. But in the reading from the gospel today, divine providence is about you, what God has provided for you. And the, it's not something unknown. Um, the fatalism of the Greeks, which is uh, really that everybody ends up dying. And then you learn about the Greek and the Roman afterlife. And friends, nobody wants to be there. Even when Odysseus goes to visit Achilles in the Odyssey, even Achilles doesn't want to be the head of, uh, head of the underworld. It's just awful. But this is not Christianity. Greeks and Romans didn't have much to look forward to. What you look forward to is union with God. So the Greek and Roman idea of fate is not the same as divine providence. Because in the fates, it's this soulless, indifferent world, these three sisters 
um, that nature merely represents that are just spinning out your fate, your future for no particular reason. They really don't care about you. That's why St. Augustine said they were all demonic, that you know they seem to help you, but really, no, they just destroy you. In some real way, the Greeks and the Romans were looking forward to the gospel. And it's why the gospel had such a purchase in the Mediterranean world. You know, in some ways, I was reading uh, about paganism coming back. I was reading about the modern Druid movement in England, which has nothing to do with the Druids that Caesar had uh, encountered when he invaded uh, Britain in the, the Britannic Islands in the first century BC, and much less to do with Stonehenge, which goes back to the Stone Age, long before the Druidic culture even existed. But the, the idea of modern paganism is syncretic. It goes back and it gets Thor or it gets the Druids or it gets some ancient idea and turns out that you can have the heaven that Christians um, long for, but you can have it on your own terms. That is the one consistency about the New Age, the occult, and neo-paganism that they bring back all these ideas of the fate. But hey, guess who's in control of it? You, my friend. And all you need is this crystal on this, uh, on this bracelet. Or all you need is to get in touch with these spiritual forces. Or all you need is to be able to say this incantation. You're in control, you're in control, you're in control. That's the modern take on the fates, which is exactly the opposite of the ancient uh, pagan understanding of the fates. But I think you get American culture and understand why people think they control everything, that we control the world. And so when Hamas fires on Israel, Russia invades Ukraine, we cry foul because we Americans know how the world is supposed to operate. And uh, we have brought this order to the world. And you're not obeying our rules. Well, you know what? The world works on its own rules, and they're not American rules. And so the idea of predestination. Um, the idea of predestination is everything is like this huge machine, and we can figure it all out, and uh, it doesn't care. It's indifferent. It picks that up from the pagans. Um, but it's also just fantasy that the world is a machine, because there's so many aspects of the world, um, obviously, that simply don't fit into our preconceptions. One of my favorite quotes is from Milton Friedman, who used to be, I think, the head of the Treasury or the Federal Reserve back when everything melted down in 2008. He admitted that the, that the economy was so complicated, nobody really could completely understand it. We know how to influence it, but we can't make it stand up, roll over, and fetch a stick because there is just something about human behavior that's outside of control. And so what's the difference between divine providence then fate and predestination. Divine providence is someone out there is not indifferent to you as a person. Someone there, God, loves you. And that you don't get to decide what God does. You can, and you're a Catholic, I know you pray. You can pray, you can sacrifice, you can meditate your heart out. Go to Mass a couple of times a day. God has his plan for you, for your good and your salvation, that will unroll on his time schedule and he will reach out to you when it is time. Because how could he really help you if you just weren't in a position to be helped? 
Why is it that you pursue the ordinary means of salvation, the sacraments, the moral life, the life of charity, the life of faith, hope, and love? Because when God makes his move and he shows up, you want to be ready to go. This is our understanding of what divine providence is. God intends good things for us, life and life abundantly. And so why is that what the gospel is about today? And the first reading from Isaiah about Cyrus the Great, uh, who is the emperor in the years about five to 500 BC, right around then. So let's turn uh, to that and let's talk about a little ancient history and Jesus in the gospel. So where do we get the name Cyrus? Well, we get it from the Old Testament and we get it from the Greeks where he was known as Kuros Ho Presbyteros, the Presbyteros, the elders, I'm a presbyter. But Kuros Cyrus was um, the elder of the Persian Empire, was the founder, one of the first people in the Greek world to write about him, who interestingly writes about the same time as uh, Isaiah is writing, and this is like th second Isaiah are reading, a, a much later prophet probably who is following in the footsteps of the original Isaiah. But they're all writing about the same man, uh, Cyrus, because he is such an important figure. Uh, he's not born an emperor. He's born as the son of a king of a much smaller kingdom. But to make a long story short, which is very complicated, um, just in reading anything about it, is he just is a very good warrior. He's a great tactician. He puts together infantry and cavalry. And he's able to conquer all these other kingdoms around him. And that's the difference between an empire and a kingdom. In a kingdom, you are in control of one political entity. In an empire, you're controlling a variety of kings who serve you. And it's why the Persians were able to uh, mount these huge offenses uh, offenses. Uh, Cyrus's son went back down, and uh, Cambyses, I think his name was, and he conquered Egypt. Uh, Cyrus, there's all sorts of questions when they died, but I think it was in uh, Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan, um, where he was, uh, according to one version, defeated in battle, um, was decapitated, and his uh, head was taken to the queen of the kingdom uh, that defeated him. So even empires and emperors have uh, their setbacks. Um, but one of the most famous ancient monuments in the world is the tomb of uh, Cyrus, which goes back to the fifth century. And it's since been ransacked, but uh, the ancients wrote about it, and you still can go and see it. And it's located in, I forget the heck of where it's located, um, but it's somewhere east of Persia. In uh, Pasargade it's, uh, is where it's located, if you've ever been through there. Um, and it's just a simple uh, tomb there. It has a, a, a uh, epitaph on it, according to the ancients. O man, whoever you are and wherever you come from, for I know you will come. I am Cyrus, who won the Persians their empire. Do not therefore begrudge me this bit of earth that covers my bones. And of course, the ancient gra uh, grave robbers went in there and stole everything that was, could be stolen. You know, Alexander defeated the Persians and right around 333 BC. So the Persian Empire lasted about 200 years. Um, and uh, when Alexander came to this very tomb, uh, he had it restored out of respect for Cyrus. Of course, 
He burned Cyrus's city of Persepolis. So uh, Alexander was a bit of a hypocrite. But this is the ancient world. But it's also all these powerful empires that have their moment and then they fade back away, uh, as did the Persians and the Greeks who conquered them. Then the Romans conquered the Greeks, and then others from the east dismembered what was left of the Persian Empire. But at the time of our first reading in Isaiah, um, the Persians are the top dogs. Um, they haven't encountered the Greeks yet. They haven't tried to invade Greece, so they haven't been defeated at Marathon or Thermopylae, which was going to happen just a few years after this reading from Isaiah 45 was first inscribed uh, in Jerusalem. And what's the reading about? Uh, the reading is about Cyrus, who is freeing the Jewish people from captivity in Babylon and restoring them home to Jerusalem. He'll give them money to rebuild the temple. His successors will give money to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it's why Jerusalem is around when Alexander the Great gets there. And that would be the history of the Maccabees, which is the next set of books that would be written more or less about the political fate or destiny of Israel uh, leading up to Jesus's time. And so the point of scripture and divine providence is there is one God, one person behind all the events of earth, and it all serves his divine plan. And what's his divine plan about? First and foremost, it's about his chosen people, Israel. That's why Walker Percy, the great Catholic novelist, used to always say, why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's because uh, 2,500 years after Cyrus returned him to Jerusalem, these people that go back well beyond Cyrus and the Babylonians and all the great empires that we've ever heard of, the Ninevites, all these people, to write to the ancient Mesopotamian city of Uruk, where um, Ab Abram came from, uh, that you can still meet him on any city on any city street in Tucson, and they still have the same God, and they still have the same law. Friends, um, there is a sign there for each of us. And so now think about that as we turn to this final part of this week's Oro Valley Catholic. I love talking about the ancient world because it's still present amongst us in the names of the weeks, the names of the month, uh, most of the constellation in the skies are named after pagan uh, mythologies and gods. Um, we make movies about them, uh, but we don't ever apparently try to understand what a different world it was. And as we live in this America that uh, has this neo-paganism rising, it's uh, as if they can take all the promises of a the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and uh, say that Thor is going to fulfill it, which is just nonsense. Because those pagan gods were, as St. Augustine says, demonic forces. Uh, it's what happens when you just give yourself over to nature and the best religion you can make up for yourself. What are you being saved from? You're being saved from the dark little world that each of us can make for ourselves and come into the big world that God presents us. And this is what the gospel's about. So let's turn and look in the Gospel of Matthew and um, the story of Jesus and the Herodians and the Pharisees. So, do you ever buy into conspiracy theories? I mean, I I've always thought that most of the conspiracy theories I hear 
I think it takes a level of power planning and intelligence that human beings simply do not actually possess. I think conspiracies can blow things up, uh, but conspirators really don't know how to govern. But this gospel starts out with the reality of conspiracies. Um, you believe everything is a conspiracy? Well, clearly some things are. Maybe not everything, but clearly some things. And so the gospel is from Matthew 22, and here's the gospel. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in a speech. So they are conspirators. So they sent their disciples to Jesus with the Herodians who were supporting King Herod, saying, Teacher, we know that you're a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you're not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin, and he said to them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? And they replied, Caesar's. At that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. Two things I'd like to have you take out of this reading. First, what's the trap? Well, it should be pretty obvious. The Herodians are the lackeys of the Roman Empire. They're the people that are gonna report you to the Romans. The Herodians aren't gonna be arresting you, but they're gonna get their pals, the Romans, to do it. And so the Pharisees are manipulating the Herodians so they'll do their dirty work for them. So this is, you know, the Gospel of Matthew talking about, you know, how you're supposed to, you know, love your neighbor in the first century there in Jerusalem, but everybody was fighting with everybody in the first century in Jerusalem. Uh, and Jesus is in this toxic environment. And so it's kind of similar to how the world always is, clearly how America is now. Uh, but think about how Jesus handles himself. So here's the second thing you take. Well, whose image is on the Roman coin? Well, Caesar. At the time, it would be Tiberius Caesar, um, who uh, came to power in the Roman Empire because his mom killed his adopted father, Augustus Caesar, because Tiberius actually had another natural father uh, by Livia's uh, first marriage. It's the, the Julio-Claudine dynasty is very complicated and terrifically murderous and immoral. But his picture, Tiberius Caesar's, is on that coin, okay? What's really interesting is, is that the Pharisees are super, super duper Orthodox, and you're not supposed to make graven images, right? Uh, images of human beings. There's none that appears in the temple. But apparently they don't mind carrying Roman coins around with them. That's one of the points of the stories, just the hypocrisy of it. And then, um, whose image is on you? We know Caesar's is on the coin. Who are you made in the image of? Well, you're made in the image of God. So nations have their own destiny, and the Romans will fall apart and Christian Europe will come up out of the ruins of the Romans and endures to the present, even uh, in this time of neo-paganism. But what the story's concerned about is your fate. Who do you belong to? Whose image is imprinted on you? You know, I'm, I'm gonna put into my show notes a great show, it was on Vimeo, and it's from Catholic University, uh, the Institute of Human Ecology, and it was run by Ross Douthat, who is a Catholic that writes for the New York Times. And his three guests were Father uh, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, who's the exorcist 
for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. He used to be the head of the St. Luke Institute that uh, dealt with uh, clergy that were having uh, mental problems. And he's a, a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, but he speaks very convincingly, and because uh, there are demons and they do do awful things. Um, but Rossetti says there's really two things. You get to choose between heaven and hell. And um, there's one way to heaven, that's Jesus. And uh, there's a variety of ways to hell. So there are two possible fates in life if you want to go back to the Greeks. Or there is kind of a predestination, depending on which train you get on. Um, if you become a Christian, you have at least the hopes of salvation. Um, if you decide to pursue these darker paths, um, slowly but surely you're just seduced into a very dark place. And Monsignor Rossetti has talked a few stories about that that you would be interested in hearing. And you do not want to have anything to do with demons. Well, the second guest that uh, was sitting next to uh, Monsignor Rossetti was Tara Isabella Burton. And I talked about a couple of her books. She's an Episcopalian. She's fun to watch uh, talk because she's kind of an interesting gal. Um, got her doctorate in uh, theology from Oxford University, so as an interesting lady, she's also a very smart one. And uh, she talks about neo-paganism, and she talks about all the odd choices uh, that are made religiously in America that have very dark futures to them. And that was one of her books, which was uh, the book called Strange Rites. Uh, what odd places you end up in when you quit just accepting divine providence, and it's in the hands of God, not your hands. What happens when you want to control? And her other book, Self-Made, which I had talked about, um, where you're constantly curating your own image. So she's really worth listening to. I thought she had some very interesting observations. And then sitting next to her was Susanna, um, oh gosh, what the heck was her name? Black Roberts, Susanna Black Roberts. And she's an editor at the Plow Quarterly. I think she's another, I don't think she's Catholic. She's a Jew that became a Christian and really smart. And I've read things she's written, and she's a wonderful writer, very learned about the ancient world and the modern world. And she's um, online at the Orthodox Review, which is a Presbyterian, I think, supported uh, on-site, the Orthodox Review. Um, and she talked about neo-paganism and what are called DMT elves, which are apparently people who uh, smoke modern versions of marijuana and see elvish creatures. She very, uh, and she talked about, what was the other thing? Oh, uh, space aliens, whether they existed or not. It was really interesting to hear these two Catholics and these two kind of mainstream Protestants. There were no evangelicals on the program. I'm not sure what they would have brought to it, but maybe maybe different perspective. Um, but uh, to just get a sense that we're in this time period where people are just believing anything. And what I thought was interesting about um, Burton and uh, uh, Dr. Burton and uh, Miss Roberts, I don't know if she's got her PhD or not. She's very, very super smart. Um, but the, the idea is that in times of great institutional distrust, and this is not the first time in history there has been institutional distrust, people try to take control for themselves over their destiny, over their fate, 
because you quit believing in divine providence. And once you quit believing that God has a plan for you, that means you're kind of on your own. And they point to Stoicism, which is uh, a philosophy that started in the Roman Empire when the Republic fell um, to Julius Caesar. And then a series of emperors began, which I was talking about, about Tiberius Caesar. This is who Jesus is dealing with. And for those who, who uh, idolized the Roman Republic, which was its own thing, the empire was a corruption of it. So if you couldn't count on the emperor because the emperor was a horribly violent and morally corrupt man, well, then you'd better start just taking care of number one because no one else is going to. And this is where America's at. You know, we talk about individualism, but we never talk about where it all comes from. All the trauma in American culture, um, divorce, uh, uh, sexual libertinism, war after war after war, uh, abortion, um, the idea that uh, jobs that were for the most people, the most common people didn't go to college. Mostly our country exported those in the 60s, 70s, and 80s with the idea, and I remember it because I lived through it, everybody's going to get a college education, which was absolute nonsense. It's all about money. And what's at the heart of it is greed and people's desire to make money. And I don't think I'm the only American that believes that. So when you're thinking about divine providence today, which is this wonderful gospel, isn't it wonderful for us that Jesus is holding a Roman drachma that has the emperor's greedy image on it, and he's reminding you and me, we get to choose who we belong to. Do we belong to the economy and the uncertain fate of nations, or is your destiny in the hand of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who I point out over history has a great track record of coming through for the people he loves, including you. This has been Oral Valley Catholic. Um, give me a like. Recommend me to your friends. Um, I hope you enjoyed this version. I know I enjoyed thinking about it and putting it together. I'll put a link to that video. It's on Vimeo at Catholic University on, on my show notes. And so if you want to watch it, I urge you to. It really was a, it was a fun video, and I, I hope you enjoy it too. Anyway, till next week, God bless all of you.